This morning we're kicking off a new series called Devoted, and uh, it's based on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and we'll be picking up over the coming weeks uh, different things that the early church were really devoted to and focused on. So I'm going to read the passage from the New International Version. It will come up on the screen behind me, and you can follow if you haven't got a Bible with you. But Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42 through to verse 47, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many signs and miracles Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And over these weeks, we're going to be picking up some of those phrases, some of those things that marked the early church. And this morning, we're picking up this phrase, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I don't know about you, are you devoted to anything? Maybe you're devoted, if you're devoted to Southampton Football Club, this is a good day. (laughs) My cousin had a Lotus Elan, 1970 Lotus Elan, and it was a wreck. And he bought it for a considerable sum of money, and over many, many years, he has refurbished this car been spending time on it and recently it's been in the garage and they have totally put they put a new engine they've built a new engine in it and this car was absolutely immaculate and uh, he'd uh, had it uh, valued and uh, he thought it would be worth probably somewhere in the region of uh, of, of perhaps 30, 30 odd thousand pounds, but then it valued, and it was the, the garage value that said this is worth, we reckon, about 45 to 50 thousand pounds. This car, he was so he so loved this car. It's in the garage, and uh, he goes to pick it up, he's he he, he and he, he goes to his uh, mother's house, and uh, he's he's got to get it correctly insured, so he takes photographs of it. And then he's going to go back, he works abroad and he's going to drive back to his sister's house, leave the car in their garage and uh, then he's going to go go abroad. And he's driving down the road, it's literally a 45 minute drive and he's driving down this road and suddenly he feels a burning heat against his uh, left leg. And he thinks there's something wrong, there's a fire in the end, I can, I can feel heat. This is burning my... He pulls the car. He manages to pull the car against the, to the side of the road. As he pulls the car to the side of the road, flames leap up from the bonnet. He jumps out of the car. He runs to the other side of the road. And in three minutes, this car disappears. Abs- it's melted to a shred. He said to me, he said, I was weeping at the side of the road. He was devoted to that car. What are you 
devoted to. J.B. Phillips, who paraphrased parts of the New Testament, when he paraphrased the book of Acts, the book that we've just read, this is what he said in his introduction. Let the critics put aside for a moment their contempt and ignorance of the church, as it is today, and let them feel afresh the astonishing impact of this tiny group of devoted men and women. Something very powerful and very unusual has happened. People are unquestionably being changed at the, very, at the root of their being. Cowards become heroes. Sinners are transformed. Fear, greed, envy, and pride are expelled by a flood of something above and beyond normal human experience. This surely is the church as it was meant to be. Why did this group of devoted men and women have such a huge impact in the world that they lived in? Some commentators estimate that by the year 300, around 10% of the world population had become Christian. Six million people. What made the difference? Over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what they believed and how it impacted the way that they lived. It will challenge us to the very core of our beings. Because we would say we believe what they believed. My prayer is that God is going to provoke us to have a similarly dramatic impact in Winchester and the region around So what motivated the early church? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, simply tells us they were devoted. A better translation might be they they persevered, they kept on devoting themselves. It was the sign of a genuine believer. It was how you spotted the authentic from the sham. We live in days when people say that they are devoted to God, but often they are devoted to little more than their own happiness. Today we're going to look at why these early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching. See, the apostles were sent ones, were 12 men that Jesus had appointed to work alongside him. For three years he taught, he walked with them, he trained them, And after his death and resurrection, he left 12 men to lead his fledgling church. And the first thing that these men did, these apostles did, was to teach the church. What did they teach them? They took them back to first principles. When I was in school... My, the first maths teacher I remember was actually my next door neighbor. And my next door neighbor, she was a, a very, uh, she was quite excitable. She uh, got uh, very agitated quite quickly. And I remember maths lessons. The only thing I remember about those maths lessons were I don't remember learning anything, but I remember laughing like a drain as she was chasing boys around the classroom, screaming at them. 
I don't remember learning anything. My maths was a disaster. The second, the teacher I had after that was a teacher called Ivian. Ivian Thomas, he had a he great big ginger beard, ginger hair, and he had a really short fuse. And those lessons were very different. Everybody paid attention. If you didn't pay attention, you learned the hard way. And I tell you, in that, those lessons, I learned, I started to understand what maths was all about. He had to reteach us. He had to re-educate us about things that we thought we understood, but we didn't. And he brought a new perspective, and he, he was the one that taught me mathematics. You see, these apostles, what they did was they reinterpreted the whole of the Old Testament. And they reinterpreted it in the light of Jesus Christ. They reinterpreted it in the light of what they'd heard him say, in terms of what they'd seen him do, what they did, they looked at, they took the Old Testament passages, the scriptures, and they showed the early church that Jesus Christ was revealed all the way through the Old Testament. They showed that there were veiled references to a Messiah right in the very beginning of Genesis. They took them through the books of the Old Testament, and they would have showed them that Jesus Christ was promised by God centuries before he ever arrived on the earth. They talked to them about the hints of the cross, what Jesus was going to do, that Jesus was going to be resurrected from the dead. They showed them from the Old Testament that that was uh, going to happen. They talked to them about the promises of God to make a way for people to come to know him personally. The Jewish nation couldn't even speak the name of God. The apostles taught them that God was a father. They told them about the prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled when Jesus walked the earth. They reinterpreted the Old Testament in the light of Christ. You see, the New Testament hadn't yet been written down. They didn't have the New Testament as we understand it. All they knew about, all that they'd heard from Jesus, the stories that Jesus told, the parables he told, they were passed on by oral tradition. So people would recount them as they remembered them and accurately, and they, would, they were experts at this. They were experts at remembering and repeating. And that's how people learned. And so the apostles taught the early church. And the early church met together regularly, we're told in the book of Acts, in the temple courts to hear the apostles teach and preach to them. It was crucial. It was crucial to the church because religion was the order of the day. People, though, had lost any sense of the reality of God. God was distant. As I said, you couldn't even mention his name. And the apostles' teaching put this right and the church was built you see some things they superseded some things that were talked about in the old testament were superseded and for the jews the sabbath day was that was the day you worshiped a saturday when jesus rose from the dead it was no longer that the early church they worshiped on the first day of the week that was a, a sunday they changed it 
some things they reinterpreted. You see, Jews understood about baptism. John the Baptist had come and he'd baptized many, many, many people in the Jordan. And they'd been baptized. uh, And when they were being baptized in the river, they were saying to God, God, we are sorry for the way we've lived. We uh, We want to live for you. They They've been baptized for repentance towards God. That's what we're told. But then the apostles come and they say, you need to be baptized. When people put their trust in Jesus, they were baptized again. You can imagine people saying, well, we've done that. We've been baptized. We've been under the water. Why do we need to bother again? We're already Christians. We've put our trust in Jesus. The apostles say, no, no, no. You believe in Christ and you are baptized. When you are being baptized, something Dramatic is happening spiritually. You are identifying with Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He died for you. He went into the ground. He was raised from the dead for you to deal with your wrongdoing, the Bible, which the Bible calls sin. And they said, no, no, no. He said, you, when you get baptized, you are identifying with Christ. You are, you are dying to your old way of life. You're saying, I'm not going to live like, I'm going to live for him. I, I'm dead to that way of life. When you come out of the water, you are living a new life for him. You are in Christ. You are baptized in to Christ. They were already believers, but they, they, understood, they said, oh, right, okay, that's what we do. And so early Christians, when they came to Christ, they were believed and they were baptized. Full immersion under the water because that symbolized death to the old. They reinterpreted many things. Some things just continued carrying the same weight. In the Old Testament, people knew that God demanded holiness. God was a consuming fire. You couldn't come near to God. You couldn't know God was holy. And he expected his people to be holy. The early apostles taught, they said, we are called to live a new way. We're called to live for him, not in our own strength, trying to keep a set of rules and regulations. Now we can live by the power of the Spirit and live a different way, live a holy life. Eventually their teaching was written down. And it's what we now know as the New Testament. It is the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, it is the Word of God. Nowadays, most Christians are becoming less and less devoted to God's Word, to the Apostles' teaching. Annette and I have someone close to us who, for the last 10 years, is a, is a follower of Jesus, but for the last 10 years, they have not read their Bible. And would openly say that to us. I haven't read my Bible for 10 years. That would have been an anathema to the early church. They were devoted to the Apostles' teaching. My challenge to you this morning is, are you devoted to the word of God? Do you love the word of God? The psalmist sums up what our attitude should be. He says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Is the word of God a lamp for your feet? If it is, then you're going to want to read it every day because it's going to shine light on the decisions that you need to make that day. The psalmist also says this in Psalm 119 verse 18, 
Open my eyes that I may say what, see wonderful things in your word. Open my eyes. A couple of times over this last month, I've got up in the morning and I've said, I've said, God, please speak to me through your word. Speak to me through the Bible. And then I've opened my Bible and I've, I'm reading through the Bible at the moment through a, in a year and I'm, I'm, I was in Leviticus. And if you know the book of Leviticus, when I, when I remembered I was in the book of Leviticus, just after I prayed that, I went, oh, whew. well, that's not going to happen then, is it? And I opened to where I was reading that morning and God spoke to me. He spoke to me so clearly from the book of Leviticus. I'm thinking, how can that be? God, that is amazing. A couple of weeks later, I prayed it again, thinking, knowing I'm not in Leviticus. I'm in, and I'm in the book of Numbers, and I turn to this chapter, and the, cha- the first two verses that I read said exactly what I'd read a couple of weeks before, but really pointedly saying, this is how you handle this. I'm like, I feel the presence of God in, a, in the room. I'm reading an old, a, a, a bit of scripture that's been written centuries ago, and God speaks to me. This is the word of God. It is living and active. We can never have enough of good teaching. Listen to that. You can never have enough good teaching. Good teaching should always provoke us to put into practice what we've heard. That's what good teaching does. And so we should be devoted to the Word of God. We should be devoted to good teaching. You see, we're swayed by this world around us, by pressure to be relevant at the expense of truths that the early Christians went to the arenas and died for. We play fast and loose with the Word of God. We need to be those who handle the Word of God correctly. We must not rip parts of it out of context, incorrectly applying it, or just being hearers of the Word but never doers of it. It's too easy to start with what we think God is saying and then finding scriptures to back up what we think God has said to us. When we do that, we lose the big picture, we avoid difficult passages, and we never teach the whole counsel of God. How do you read the Word of God? Do you just pick it up and go, God, speak to me, and just do that? Bit of a lucky dip in the morning? Let me encourage you to be people who read God's Word. This is the Word of God. This is God's Word to you. God can speak to you every day out of his word. Let me encourage you. I, I read, I'm reading through the Bible at the moment in a year. So I'm reading, I've got a, there's a scheme I'm using to do it, reading a couple of chapters a day. You can do that through a year. It'll take you 15 minutes, 20 minutes to read a passage. And when you read it, be saying to God, God, speak to me through this passage today. And even if you don't think you've heard anything, it's done you good. Let me encourage you to get hold of things like this. Phil Moore's Straight to the Heart series. These are outstanding little commentaries that give you, uh, can, you can use on a daily basis to read the Word of God. Get hold of them. They're all loaded. They are excellent for helping you get into the Word of God. We should want to be in church every Sunday. 
We should want to be here because we are desperate not to miss out on what God is going to speak to us about through his word. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? See, we live in a world where there is no ultimate authority. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. There is only one answer to the state of this nation. We need to hear the word of God. John tells us, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Guys, this is serious business. This is the word of God and we need to love it. We need to be devoted to it. So what did these apostles teach? Well, there are four things I want to draw out. They taught many things, but I want to draw out four things to help us this morning. The first thing is this. They taught the centrality of Christ. Whenever they taught, it was Jesus-focused. They were talking about Jesus all the time. They talked about his incarnation. They talked about the fact that he was God's son. He was God. He was in heaven and he was sent by God the Father to this earth and he became a man. He was incarnated. He became human flesh. God became man and lived among us. They taught that Jesus walked this earth. He understood what it was to be a human being. He knows what it is to experience the things that you experience every day. He knows what it is to experience the frustrations of everyday life. The limitations of a human body. He knows what it's like. There is a God in heaven who understands humanity perfectly. He not only made us, he became a man like us. God incarnate. The apostles taught that Jesus was a man like us. God and man. Completely God, completely man. And yet he never sinned. He never did anything wrong. They taught that Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. But it wasn't just the act of a vicious Roman dominating force. He was crucified because it was the will of God, it was the purpose of God to save men and women. Because a holy God had to deal with sin. And there was only one answer. There was, they, they needed to, someone needed to pay the price that God could forgive men and women. And so he sent his son into this world to die on a cross. And the apostles taught that the cross of Christ was central to everything. Central point of human history. The apostles taught that three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Physically rose from the dead. This man rose from the dead. And that because he rose from the dead, one day after we've died, we will rise again and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. They taught that Jesus Christ ascended to the Father. That after he'd risen from the dead, he walked the earth with his disciples for a few weeks and then he ascended to the Father's right hand. They taught that it was better that Jesus went because when he went, he poured out the Spirit. They taught that one day that Jesus Christ was now glorified in heaven, but they taught one day this Jesus, this man who's in heaven, there is a man in heaven. 
There is one that reminds God forever that our sin is dealt with. They taught that this Jesus was coming back again. And he was going to put this world to right. They taught the centrality of Christ. If our preaching doesn't center on Jesus Christ, it may be a good homily, but it is not apostolic teaching. There's a story in the Welsh Revival of an old Welsh-speaking woman who used to cross over into England when there wasn't a meeting or on around her. She used to go to an English-speaking church. She couldn't understand a word of what was being said except the preacher used the name of Christ so often in his, in his preaching that it did her good. Is Christ central? Do we make much of Christ becoming man? Do we talk about him? Sharing our infirmities, knowing what it is to live in the difficulties of this world? Are we always preaching the cross and its power to change lives? Is the resurrection of Jesus always on our lips? Is the fact that Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven always in our focus? Do these things fill our songs, give life to our prayers? Are they the focus of our faith? If so, then praise God. If not, are you, are you weary of it? Then God help us. Remember when Jesus meets two of his followers on the road to Emmaus after he's been crucified. And they think it's all over. They're going home, they're disengaged, they're disappointed, disheartened, downcast. They're walking home from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, Jesus comes alongside them and they don't recognize him. This resurrected Jesus comes and walks with them, these two, and they're chatting away. Jesus is saying, what's wrong? And they begin to tell him. And then it says, Jesus, it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus preached himself to them. Christ-centered preaching. Listening to Christ-centered preaching puts us back on the right track. Those two disciples, when they recognized what had happened, when they realized it was Jesus, they turned around straight away. It was late in the evening, turned around and went straight back. They were re-engaged because they heard Christ. They met Christ. Christ showed himself to, him in the, uh, to them in the Scripture. Christ-centered preaching enables us to keep pressing on. When Peter is out of the boat, he's walking on water. His problem is, is when he takes his eyes off Jesus. That's his problem. He looks at the circumstances and stops looking at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, encourages us, fix our eyes on Jesus. Do you feel you're struggling at the moment? Things tough for you? Then you need to hear... The centrality of Christ. You need to hear apostolic teaching. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The second thing they taught was this. They taught the revelation of the Trinity. They taught that God was three in one. 
distinctly three, but distinctly one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And whenever Jesus refers to God himself, so whenever Jesus taught, he always taught that God was his Father. In fact, the only time he doesn't refer to God as his Father is when he's on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, as he bore our wrongdoing, as he bore our sin, as he took the punishment that was rightfully ours, as he stood in our place, in that moment, the Father turned his back. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But every other time, Jesus talked about God as a Father. And he experienced that. He experienced the rejection of God so that we might never be rejected by God. That we might know that God is our Father. He died on a cross for you to know that there is a God in heaven who is a Father to you. The apostles fearlessly preached a God in heaven who was majestic. They preached a God who is awesome, sovereign, ruling and reigning in the heavens. A God who was transcendent, magnificent, glorious. But they also preached a God who was loving, a loving Father. There is a God in heaven who is awesome and all-powerful, but he is your Father. The apostles preached Jesus was the Son of God, and it was the He was the one who could reconcile us, restore us to a relationship with the Father. They fearlessly preached about Jesus. They lived lives filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit who had been promised by God and sent by Jesus when he went back to heaven. Apostolic preaching proclaimed a Trinitarian God. It was foundational to the early church. Are you in trouble? Are you in difficulty this morning? Are you finding things tough? Then you need to hear apostolic preaching. You need to know that there is a transcendent, all-powerful God in heaven who is able to deal with anything you're facing. But you need to know that that all-powerful God is a father who's interested in you. Theologians use the word imminent. He is a God who draws near to us, who comes near to us. If you're in trouble, you need to know that there is a God who can do something about your difficulties, but it's a God who loves you and cares for you like a father. You need to know that there is a man in heaven, Jesus Christ, who died to reconcile you to the Father and make it possible that you can have a relationship with him and you can know God as your Father. You need to know that there is a Holy Spirit poured out, sent by the Son, poured out to enable you to live this life, to come and help you when you're in difficulty. Are you in trouble? Then you need apostolic preaching. Thirdly, they taught the mystery of the church. They talked about the church in all sorts of ways. They used all sorts of analogies. They talked about the church as being a family. The family of God, the household of God. They talked about the church in 1 Corinthians 12 being a body. Every part needing one another. The church 
were in, inextricably bound together. You can't do without other Christians. Around. You can't be a Christian and make it on your own. You're part of a body. You're part of a church. They talked about the church being a temple, a place where God dwelt by his spirit. God dwells amongst us by his spirit. They talked about the church being a bride, a bride being prepared for a bridegroom. They talked about the church being made ready to be joined to Christ forever and ever through all eternity. They talked about the church as an army, a people fighting together, fighting against an enemy that's already been defeated by Jesus and yet having to stand firm and stand its ground together. Apostolic preaching is all about the church. The New Testament is full of the exploits of the early church. Letters to churches encouraging them, exhorting them, rebuking them, correcting them. Always inspiring them to press on and build themselves up in their most holy faith. Letters to leaders of churches. Full of apostolic doctrine to the church about the fall of man, the grotesqueness of sin, the glory of God, the power of the cross, the victory of Christ, the indwelling power of the Spirit, the future hope of the church. The believers heard it, they believed it, and they lived their lives in the light of it. Nothing could stop the church. Persecution, famine, sword, The true church has kept growing through all the ages. In our Western world, the devil has ridiculed, mocked, scorned the church that it seems almost irrelevant. Do you want Hope Church to be more than just a name change? Then we need to believe what the early church believed. The local church really is the hope of the world. It really is the family of God, a community of people that love God and love each other. We're a body. Each one is equally important. Not one of us are more important than anyone else. We're a people who God lives amongst. God is amongst us by his Spirit. When we worship together, God is amongst us. We are inextricably linked to Christ, like a bride to a bridegroom. They were an army, knit together. No force of hell can stop this army. Finally, they taught the mission of God. They talked about the good news of Jesus. They talked about this big story. They talked about what God had done. Before time began, God planned that all this would happen. They proclaimed that God was on a mission, that God was on a mission to save men and women, to draw men and women into relationship with him, that God was determined that he was going to have a people for himself, that the setback of The Garden of Eden where man has turned and gone his own way and rejected him. God was on a mission to put that right. And God was prepared to pay the price to make it happen by giving his son. Apostolic teaching is always outward looking. It's always seeking to bring others in. If you are here for the first time and you've never heard about Jesus before, then I want to tell you 
that this is the place to be this morning. You are in the right place because there is a God who's on a mission to bring you into relationship with himself. This is what J.B. Phillips says in his letters to young churches. These letters were written against the backdrop of paganism. There were no churches, no Sundays, no books about the faith, slavery, sexual immorality, cruelty, callousness to human suffering and a low standard of public opinion were universal. Travelling and communications were chancy and perilous. Most people were illiterate. Many Christians today talk about the difficulties of our times as though we should have to wait for better ones before the Christian religion can take root. It is heartening to remember that this faith took root and flourished amazingly in conditions that would have killed anything less vital in a matter of weeks. These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become through Christ literally sons of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. They still speak to us across the centuries. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved.